As we start this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter number 8. Acts 8, and uh, I'm going to tell you right now, repetition is good for the soul, and you're going to get some repetition. Uh, Brother Kenny preached a little bit of my message yesterday. Brother Getch preached it last night, and then Brother Kenny referred to it a little bit this morning. So uh, we're just going to kind of go over some of the same thoughts. But as we start this morning, I want to tell you that uh, I've learned something uh, having children. I've learned something about kids and college guys. I've learned something about kids, kids and college guys. <laughs> you guys need help, man. I've a... Uh, I'm going to tell you, Brother Getch, that, that worked out really well. I, I'm just going to say, I, did you get hurt? Yeah. What, I, what I've learned from, from kids and, and, uh, and college guys, you know, uh, one thing that's interesting, by the way, when I went to the dorm last night to tell them, they acted like that was the best thing that they were going to do since they were born. Like, y'all lead some boring college lives if that's the greatest thing, you know. Uh, one of them, whoever brought the bear, was like, I'm bringing the bear! Simmer down, buddy. Uh, no, it was great. You know what? One thing I've learned is college guys, like our kids, uh, one time we were having a number of people over to our house, and, and we have our three kids, and our church is filled with kids, and they all have great friends. And uh, So we were up there. We were playing some board games. Is this a Bible? Oh, man, it's a hymnal. I was about to... We had all these people over. We were upstairs playing board games. And we're up there playing board games, and uh, the kids, we just give them the basement, and they can just have at it. Well, we play board games. It's probably about midnight, maybe 1 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday night. Most of them had a, a holiday the next day, a day off. And so we, uh, we went downstairs after the game time, and our basement, it was a disaster zone. I mean, honestly, it looked like this times like a billion. It was horrible. There, I think every toy our children owned... We're all over the basement. And like you're walking down and, you know, stepping on Legos and screaming your head off and things like that. And I remember like, what in the world got into you? I've realized that kids, like college guys, uh, they leave evidence of everywhere they've been. And college girls can be the same. My wife told me some of the college girls dorm stories. It'll make you throw up. It's bad, you know. Uh, listen, people leave evidence of where they've been. I just want to ask you a question this morning as we get started. And I just want to ask you, in your life, in your life, will there be evidence that you were ever here? And more importantly, will there be evidence that you ever lived a life for Christ? Like, what evidence will you leave behind? I'm not talking about just leaving a mess. You guys got that one under control. I've got that under control. You know what? I'm not talking about leaving a mess. I'm talking about in your life, what evidence is going to be behind you that says you made an impact for the cause of Christ? I want you to open your Bibles. You're there in Acts chapter number 8. I want you to stand and read with me a very familiar portion of Scripture. You've been there, and those guys that were going to help kind of move this to the side, if you guys will come up and do that real quick, three or four of you. And uh, some guys are going to do that. While we're reading, they're going to clean some of this up. 
Acts chapter 8, and you guys can just push it to the side, that'd be great. Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, very familiar portion of scripture. Philip is the man that we're going to discover a little bit of, but you read here while they're doing this. Don't pay attention to me, pay attention to them, pay attention to me. And let's go, Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, it says this, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Question, who was his? Who's it talking about? Okay, Stephen, good job. Who's it talking about? Stephen. All right, say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Good. You still awake? Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. Saul was consenting unto his, Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every city and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore... They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached unto them Christ. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, uh, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Skip down to verse number 26. It says this, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down to, from Jerusalem unto Gaza. First part, verse 27 says, uh, And he arose and went. Skip over to verse number 39. We read these words. And when they were come up out of the water, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he had led him to Christ and got baptized. When they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing, and Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through... Uh, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Again, it's a familiar portion of Scripture in the Word of God, but I believe there's some help for us, and more specifically, I think there's some help for us in understanding how to make an impact, how to leave evidence of your life being lived for Christ. I see it in the life of Philip, and there's some thoughts I want to bring out to you this morning, some truths that I believe if you'll apply them to your heart, and if I'll apply them to mine, I really think God could use us to make a difference in this world. So let's pray, but before we pray... I want to ask you to do something. Um, Would you, we're going to bow our heads in just a minute, but when we do, would you just ask God to speak to you? I know that going going through chapel can kind of be ritualistic. You know, you just kind of get in the phase of going through chapel. I want you this morning just to stop, calm your heart. It's been finals week. Your brain's been going. You get to go home next week. Let's just chill out for a minute and let's let the Lord capture our attention and let's see what he has for us. All right, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you take a moment? And just give God permission to speak to you. God, I give you permission. I want you to speak to me today. And then would you just make a commitment that as God speaks to you, that you're listening and that you'll respond to him. Dear Lord, we come before you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach it this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us. I pray, Father, that you would use it. And, Lord, make the application that you desire. Speak to each of us individually. I know that you know every need in here. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would do that which only you can. We love you. We commit this time to you. I, again, just humble myself before you as a vessel that you would use me today. And, Lord, thank you again for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated.
Uh, this morning, I just want you to know, uh, you're probably not going to hear anything new in the sense of the life of Philip. It's a very common story that we find in Scripture. But I, when I look at the life of Philip, I see Philip really as kind of an unsung hero of the New Testament. Philip is one of those men uh, that really, when you think about it, uh, he's not listed as the heroes in, in really the New Testament. You know, you think of New Testament heroes, you think of John and James and Peter, and, and you think of Paul, you might think of Timothy, but not too many people think of the name of Philip and who he was and what he did. But let me just give you very briefly some things that Philip was responsible for. We know Acts 8 that we just read there. He's responsible for getting the gospel to Samaria. Now, while there had been uh, people that had been saved in Samaria before, of course, Jesus, John chapter number 4, must needs go through Samaria to reach the uh, Samaritan woman. We know that. But when you look at Philip, he goes and he reaches this area. Great revival takes place. When you find Philip, you find him also reaching the Ethiopian eunuch that was referred to last night and even this morning. And uh, history, actually Ethiopian and North African history, records that some of the very first parts of Christian movement would have been shortly after this would have taken place. And so many people in uh, many historians believe that the Ethiopian eunuch probably brought the gospel back to that area and revivals started being sparked and started taking place shortly after that. Well, who led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ? Philip did. Philip, was re- he would be one that would be perhaps responsible for that. Philip later would be believed to have founded a church at Caesarea. We read there in verse number 40 that he goes to Azotus and then is found in, in Caesarea. Well, if you fast forward a few years, about 25 years or so, uh, you find Paul being in prison, waiting many trials in Caesarea. And you know the very people that ministered to Paul while he was awaiting trial would have been those believers at Caesarea. Well, who would have been responsible for that? Probably Philip. Probably Philip. Man, you begin to think about the impact that Philip had. And really, I look at the life of Paul. Everybody wants to be a Paul. Right? Everybody wants to be someone who writes those books and someone who uh, has that great influence like Paul had. But I think today we we need just as many Philips as we do Paul's. And I think when you look at the life of Philip, that Philip, he, he, he made an impact for the Lord. We find him raising his family for the Lord and raising children that served God in ministry. And man, what an, what an accomplishment Philip had. And really what I'm just getting at is the fact that Philip was an effective believer that made a great impact for Christ. There was evidence all around that Philip had lived for the Lord. But what I want us to consider this morning is how did Philip do it? What are some characteristics or some things in Philip's life that you and I could perhaps put in our life to help us be a Philip? I want you to think about these things this morning. First of all, I look at Philip's life. I say, number one, Philip was committed. All right, Philip was committed. What was he committed to? When you think about the word commitment, I think about Philip, his commitment to the Lord. It was on a different level than most people. I really believe that. I think that Philip was committed to the Lord. We see this commitment in a number of ways. Number one, uh, Philip was committed to hear the word of God. He was committed to hear the word of God. When you look in Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 26, it speaks about the angel of the Lord speaking to Philip. And Philip didn't have to uh, pause his life to hear the voice of God. He just had this relationship of walking with the Lord. Philip was committed to hear God's voice. And of course we know that the Lord spoke to Philip through the angel and now he speaks to us through the word of God. And can I just tell you that in Bible college and in in the Bible college mentality, I'm going to give you a Bible college speaker statement. Uh, But that's this fact that we are so spoiled to have the word of God. You realize right now, and I have friends that serve as missionaries in uh, restricted access countries and in places like 
India and China and then in the 1040 window and then in the Middle East and just different things like that, that they have people in their church that have never even seen or people that they're trying to reach, never even seen a copy of the word of God. And yet you and I, we have three or four copies of it. And I, again, I know you hear this often, but just let it sink in for a moment. I wonder how precious is the word of God to you? How committed are you to hearing the word of God? See, we have so much noise in our life. We have so many things that uh, are taking our attention off of the word of God. And we have classes and we're, you know, trying to find the mate and trying to find our husband or our wife, trying to find the right spouse, which there are many of you. I offered some help to you uh, to try to announce that you needed somebody in chapel today. You missed your opportunity. Some of you are asking, are you dating anybody? And you were like, no, I offered to help today to have you stand. We could like help. See me afterwards. We, Brother Getch might arrange that tomorrow, all right? But listen, we, we are so consumed with life that we miss the Word of God in front of us. Philip wasn't that way. He was committed to hear it. Not only do I find that Philip was committed to hear the Word of God, but I, I believe that Philip, he was committed to respond to the Word of God. Committed to respond to the Word of God. You realize that when... When God gives you a message, when he speaks to your heart, really only you know it. And so only you know if you're going to respond to him. I, uh, I'm so thankful for my wife. I wish she could have come with me on this trip. Um, but one of the amazing facts about my wife that people don't know, uh, Hannah, she's one of the most spiritual, one of the most godly ladies I've ever been around. And uh, she has, Brother Getch, she, when she was 16 years old, God really just got a hold of her heart about the Word of God. And she made a commitment that she would be in the Bible every day. And here we are, 17 years later. And to my wife's knowledge, she'll tell you, and she doesn't do it boastfully. She always is kind of embarrassed when I mention it. 17 years, she can't remember if she's missed a day in the Bible. Man, when I found that out, you know, we had been dating a little bit. I think we had been married even a few months before I found this out. And then it just, like a light bulb goes on. Well, duh. That's why she's such a godly young lady. She just spent time with the Lord. Man, I wonder, I wonder if, have you gone a week without missing it? Philip, he was committed to hear it. He was committed to respond to it. You look in the passage, what do you find happening? God spoke to him, what did he do? He got up and left. That's amazing to me. And Brother Getch, you mentioned it last night. Uh, verse number 27, he arose and went. Here's this revival going on in Samaria, Acts 8. And he's seeing all of this happen. And God says, hey, I want you to move. And what does he do? He gets up and he moves. He gets up and he leaves. And uh, Philip, he wasn't able to just jump on a train or a bus or a car, you know. He had to, he had to ride a Camelac, you know, and go all the way down to, uh, to Gaza and do all of this trip and all of these things. Philip, when the Lord spoke to him, his response wasn't, well, God, what's your will? His response wasn't, well, I have to know what's going to happen. This journey would have been more than 50 miles And Philip didn't argue back. 
He said, God, he didn't, he didn't say, God, what's your plan? Or, or, or Lord, don't you see what's going on here? No, he had a heart to obey the Lord. He was close to him and he was a friend of God. And uh, I believe that John 15, 14 says it well, that you're my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, you want to have God as a close friend, be obedient to his word. Let him speak to you, right? He's committed to hear. He's committed to hear the word of God. He's committed to respond to the word of God. But then also, I believe that Philip was committed to trust the word of God. He's committed just to trust it. Philip didn't, uh, he didn't say, okay, Lord, but I really need to know what's going to happen after this. God, I know you've called me to Bible college, but I really need to know what's going to happen after Bible college. The Lord, have you realized that God doesn't work that way? God doesn't say, okay, I'm going to show a spotlight on the fu- of your entire future. He, he shows a spotlight or a flashlight on the next step. And that's Philip's life. Well, Philip, he was committed to trust the word of God and he's, he was trusting that God knew what he was doing and Philip didn't have to understand everything that was going on. He didn't have to have all of the answers. It's like our kids and you've been around kids probably and, and kids often they have to have the I need to know everything stage. They have that stage. And so our kids, I try to surprise them. And uh, if you can tell, I'm, I'm a pretty mellow person. I'm very, very calm, not hyperactive at all. And so randomly at moments, I'll just be like, kids, get in the car. I'm like, what's going on, Dad? I'll be like, just get in the car. And maybe in my mind, I know I'm taking them to ice cream or taking them to Walmart or, you know, just doing something crazy. And they always say, well, where are we going? We'll just get in the car. I'll tell you later. But, Dad, where, what, do we, what do we need to bring? Nothing. Just get in the car. And they'll always ask this. How long does it take to get there? Because then they're like matter of elimination. They're getting smart, you know. And so if I say two hours, they know we're maybe going to uh, their cousin's house. If I say three hours, they know we're probably going to grandma and grandpa's. And so I'm like, I'm not telling you. Just get in the car. You know what? Sometimes we're like that with God. God's like, hey, would you obey my word? I want you to. And he gives us a specific plan for our life or something, a specific step. And we say, okay, God, where are we going? God, what are we going to do? What's going to happen with that? And God's like, hey, just get in the car. Just trust me. I just want to take you somewhere that I'm not going to show you where that is yet. I just want you to trust this next step. And I'm so thankful for people like Philip. When I look at Philip's life, that's what he was. He was committed to hear the word of God, committed to respond to it, and then committed to trust it. He didn't have to know everything. When I look at Philip's life, I think of Philip trusting in this situation. Uh, The Bible tells us in Isaiah, you know the verse, Isaiah 26, verse number 3, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Saying, hey, you want to have peace in your heart. Well, keep your mind focused on the Lord. How am I going to do that? Well, just trust in him. Just trust in him. You know, that for me and in, in our life, our testimony, I won't share it uh, um, very long, but I was serving on staff at a church four and a half years and God began to stir our heart about starting a church. I never wanted to start a church. Uh, Brother God, I don't know if you remember master's, my master's year and uh, we have, you have to write the thesis, you know, and uh, they were handing out subjects that you write the thesis on that year. And I, I don't know why I missed the first portion of class. I, me and Brother Weaver were having some good fellowship or something. I don't know. Uh, but I remember I came in, and the only, two, the only two subjects you could write your thesis on was starting a Christian school or starting a church. Well, I knew for sure I was never going to do the whole Christian school thing, and I was pretty positive it wasn't the church thing. And so I'm like, well, Brother Goddard, can I come up with my own thing? He's like, no, you've got to write on one of these two. And so I wrote my thesis on church planning. had no idea that five years later I'd be using that thesis to help me start a church. You know what? During that time... And during the transition time of going from a youth pastorate to be a pastor, 
I, I very quickly learned that God wants me to listen and trust without having all the answers. Man, can I tell you, in your life, you want to make an impact, leave evidence of where you've been? Be committed. Be committed. Learn that I'm going to be committed to the Word of God, committed to hear it, committed to respond to it, committed to trust it. Secondly, this morning, I see that Philip was making a difference because Philip was compassionate. Philip was compassionate. Now, you hear the word a lot, but Philip's love comes out in so many different ways. I see his compassion coming out, first of all, in his outreach. Philip's compassion comes out in his outreach. Acts chapter 8, you think about what was going on. They're facing persecution. Saul or uh, Tarsus had just wreaked havoc of the church and uh, Stephen had just been killed. Stephen would have been one of Philip's close friends and, and yet we see that persecution because of Stephen being executed, it comes upon everybody. And Acts chapter 8 verse number 5 tells us that because of it and the church leaving that Philip flees to Samaria, but everywhere he goes he's preaching the gospel. But I want you to think with me for just a moment about the relationship that uh, Philip, the Jews had with the Samaritans. I mean, we know the stories, you know, in scripture that they had no dealings with each other. But Philip, he goes to this group of people that would be considered his enemies and would have considered him an outcast. And yet he still had compassion on them and tried to reach them. We don't read in in the scripture, excuse me, we read in the scripture that he was compassionate on the people that even he perhaps would have had a personal bias against. I want you to think about it for just a moment. He, his witness to people was not hindered by his social or demographic bias or prejudice. It wasn't, well, these are not my people or these aren't where I, they, they aren't where I grew up or these are Samaritans and they worship here and they believe this. No, he just knew everywhere needed Jesus Christ and his cultural differences were not going to stop him from telling people about Jesus. And I wonder uh, this morning, I wonder what stops you from having compassion on people who aren't like you. In our country right now, there's so much going on with uh, uh, different racial groups and things like that. And, and really, uh, it's surprising to me. That's something that my dad talked about growing up in and, and being around. And I didn't ever thought we would see a lot of that in our day. But I think some Christians sometimes, we have some personal biases or personal preference things that stop us from witnessing to certain people. Let me tell you this, Brother Getch last night mentioned the girl with all the tattoos. How many of you were in the service last night and you heard that girl with all the tattoos? And he talked about the girl being tattooed up one side and down the other. I mean, just had tattoos all over her. You know what? There's a lot of Christians, and, and I hate to say it, there's a lot of pastors that that girl will walk into their church and it's kind of like, <gasps> welcome, we're glad you're here. And just kind of get away. You say, no, that doesn't happen. That happens all the time. Why? That's a personal bias or a personal preference issue. Uh, Can I just be honest with you? I'd much rather have the girl with all the tattoos walk in than the family that comes to me right away and says, now, preacher, we want to ask you a question. Do you use the King James Bible here? Are you separated? Are you local church? Are you independent? Are you this? Are you that? I'd much rather have the girl with the tattoos. Why? Because she probably needs Jesus. I don't want a pharisaical mind in the church. Now, again, God brings people and we understand that. But I see so many church planners, they get so excited. I read church planners' letters and they're like, man, praise the Lord. We had a family of seven walk in. They had five kids and all the women were dressed modestly and all the men were wearing ties. And they, man, they had a big family King James Bible and they asked me all the right questions. And listen, God doesn't call you to reach churched people. He's called us to reach the lost. Put your personal bias down and your personal preferences down and just start telling people about Jesus. 
You'll be amazed what God will do with the 16-year-old tattooed girl. You'll be amazed what God will do with people like we have maybe in our church and uh, the Isaacs, Carlos's, Carlos's uncle, or other people like Ben. I think of Ben. Uh, ben, years ago, he was military. He served three tours over in Iraq. His best friend, he watched him get, uh, watched him get killed right in front of him. And uh, Ben, just a crazy life. And Ben tattoos up one side and down the other. Same situation. Ben lived across the street from our church. And I remember Ben finally coming to know the Lord as Savior and then what God's done in his life life and now part of Pastor Paisley's church. They moved to Tri-Cities and every now and then come back up. I'm so thankful that I didn't see Ben as a tattooed guy. I'm thankful that the Lord helped me to look past that. Can I just tell you, have some compassion. Let it be shown in your outreach. Philip made a difference because of his compassion. I see it in his outreach. I see it, number two, letter B right here, in his selflessness. In his selflessness. You think about Philip. I don't look through the passage in Acts chapter number 8 and see Philip consumed with himself. Philip wasn't consumed with himself or his plans. He was, if you think about this, he is fleeing for his life. And yet, what is he doing all the while? He's witnessing. He's he's running for his life at the beginning of Acts 8. And yet, we find him just telling people about Jesus Christ. What a selfless act. Philip wasn't too concerned about his perks or his benefits in ministry. He wasn't like, all right, Lord, I guess I'll go witness to this guy. But what are you going to give me for it? His mindset was just, you know what? God called me. I'm going. The greatest generation is called the World War II generation. We have a World War II vet. He recently passed away, Don Honeycutt. He named our senior saints class. We were asking for names. And uh, we were in a, in a meeting with them one time. And they were like, Pastor, we don't like senior saints. Because we're old. We don't want to be reminded about it. That's what they told me all the time. And I said, well, what do you want it to be named? And Brother Honeycutt, he said, you know, we're really young at heart. I like the idea of recycled teenagers. <laughs> They were all like, I mean, this is like six years ago. They were like, yeah. You know, I mean, all those little grandmas were like, yes. I'm recycled. And they started, and they, they love it. They love being the recycled teenagers. You know why they were, that generation is called the greatest generation? They were selfless. I'm sorry. I love, I love the millennial generation and just reaching the millennials, but I'm not going to war with the millennial. I'm not doing it. Why? Because they're going to be like, excuse me, I've got to check my social media. Could you put the gun down? I've got to, I've got to update my Facebook. Man, that group, you know what they were like? They were like, this is my country. And I'll die for it. Man, selfless. You know what, our generation, I'm going to lump me in with you for just a second. By the way, someone guessed me to be 31. Thank you. I'll give you a hug afterwards. Um, I'm going to lump myself in with your generation. And I, I realize I'm not old by any means. But our generation lacks in selflessness. We're such a selfish people. And we have to have everything. Instant gratification and everything. Can I just tell you, if you want to make an impact for Christ, life's not about you. It's not. Just get some humble pie and realize God wants to use you, but you got to think outside the box. I see, I see Philip being selfless. He wasn't selfish. I see his compassion in his outreach, his selflessness, but then thirdly, I see it in his forgiveness. I see it in his forgiveness. In order to really understand this, and again, I realize the hour, I won't, I won't really belabor this point, but in order to understand this, you would have to go to Acts 21. Acts 21, you know the story. Uh, Paul is traveling around preaching, and in Acts 21, Paul finds himself in Caesarea. 
And he finds himself in Acts 21, verse number 8. He finds him, just follow me for a second. He finds himself at the house, Paul does, at the house of Philip. And verse number 10 of Acts 21, it tells us that Paul actually stayed there for many days. Now, when you read scripture, we read through that. We just, oh, it's, you know, it's great. He is going around. Do you, do you believe that Philip and Paul knew each other? Yes. But Philip didn't know him as Paul. Philip knew him as Saul of Tarsus. If you turn back two pages from Acts chapter number 8, you would find Acts chapter number 6 and verse number 5 where they're choosing out some men that would, leave and, that would lead in the local church there at Jerusalem. Stephen is named first. Do you know whose name is second? Philip. Philip's name is second. Do you know what that means? That means that Philip was friends with Stephen. I believe they were very close friends. I believe in that leadership there, the selection of many call it the first deacons, I believe they would have been very, very close friends. New converts to Christ. Christianity was brand new. Here's Stephen, a man of God filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's Stephen that every time words came out of his mouth, he was spirit filled. And right next to him is Philip. You know who's responsible for Stephen's death? Saul of Tarsus. You know who Saul of Tarsus is? Paul. You think Philip and Paul knew each other? Yeah. So here you are, Acts 21, 25 years later, and here you are, Paul and Philip face to face. To face. Philip, he is face to face with the one who had killed one of his closest friends. Philip, he's face to face with someone who had hurt him deeply. Philip is face to face with the one who, he was the cause, he was the reason that I fled in the first place. He is the reason I had to uproot my family and move. Here's Philip face to face with Saul of Tarsus, and what does he do? He welcomes him into his home. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness only with God's grace. What a picture of grace and forgiveness Philip is. I wonder if Paul, when he was writing uh, Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God or Christ for God's sake hath forgiven you. I wonder if Paul was thinking of Philip. I wonder when he wrote Colossians, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have any quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I wonder if Paul's thinking of Philip. I mean, what an incredible lesson we learn from Philip in regards to forgiveness. You see, I see his compassion in his forgiveness, the fact that he was willing just to get over himself and say, you know what, yes, you did me wrong, but I'm going to forgive you. And can I just tell you right now, just mark it down, whether you're 19 years old and you're a freshman or you're 24 years old and you're about to go out or you're 40 years old and you're one of those cool married guys in college. Listen, can I just tell you that there are people that are going to hurt you. You've got to get over it. You've got to be able to forgive people that trash you and talk bad about you. And I don't care if they blog about you. Forgive them. Life is too short to carry a bunch of weight on our, on our shoulders of, uh, of, of hurts and past pains. And you never know what God is doing in their life. And they might say something about you and come back five years later and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry I said that about you. Just learn to forgive. Make an impact by leaving some compassion. You have compassion by showing some people forgiveness. And what really blows my mind is that we, tr- we struggle so much with forgiving people that just say something bad about us or, you know, especially in college. College politics, you know, with each other. Well, she said this about him, and I'm just not going to talk to her anymore. Get over it. Well, he, he started talking to the girl that I liked. Who cares? Get over it. Forgive people. Because there's going to be bigger things that happen in life and bigger things in ministry that you're going to have. Man, Brother Kenny, 31 years. You go up to him and ask him, Brother Kenny, how many times have you had to forgive people? A lot. Forgiveness. But can I just tell you this morning about forgiveness, that forgiveness isn't a one-time decision, it's a daily choice. 
Forgiveness has to be something that you do every day. Forgiveness is really saying, God, I trust you in the situation. I found this definition about forgiveness a a few years ago, and I love it. It's this. Forgiveness is agreeing to live with the unchangeable consequences of another's sin against me. Agreeing to live with the unchangeable consequences of another's sin against me. You know what? Forgiveness doesn't mean that I've forgotten about it. I'm not God. I'm not wired that way. Forgiveness doesn't mean that I have to allow that person in my circle of trust again. There's some people in here, listen, like people in our church that you may have deal, you may be dealing with having to forgive something like abuse or something like, uh, just horrific things that took place in your childhood. It does not mean that you have to, you have to allow that person, um, in your sphere of trust again, but it does mean that you're gonna say, God, I recognize that you are the God of vengeance and you will take care of this. And God, you keep a better record book than I do. And so I want to make an impact by having compassion and just forgiving somebody. And that's a daily choice. Wake it up every day saying, I choose to forgive. And then when you think about them again, you think, I choose to forgive. Man, what a great example Philip was. He chose to forgive. Philip's compassion is a wonderful picture, I think, of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he has for us. Man, we know about the love that Christ has and the forgiveness that he had for us. Look at this man, Philip. What a great guy. His life was evident that he lived for him. I tell you this morning, Philip was committed. Philip was compassionate. But lastly, and I'll be done, Philip was consistent. I see Philip being consistent. We heard some great thoughts on faithfulness yesterday and today. You know, every time you look at Philip, you know what you find? You find him preaching about Christ. You find him being an example You find Philip telling others about Jesus. You find Philip speaking scripture into the lives of others. He is consistent and he is being faithful. He is one that when circumstances were not what he wanted, he was consistent. When plans didn't make sense, he was consistent. When he he had to step out of his comfort zone, he was consistent in it. And can I tell you, consistency should start right now. Listen, don't be an up and down Christian. Don't be an up and down flaky college student that just kind of, you know, well, I'll do good this semester and I won't do good next semester and I'm really excited about the Lord right now, but then I, you know, I got that D on that paper and so I just, man, it's a crummy day. Listen, just wake up in the morning, get your focus set on the Lord and be consistent for Him and let God do something with your life. And when you look at the life of Philip, I mean, we find him consistent in Acts chapter number 8, but you find him consistently serving 25 years later in the same town in Caesarea in Acts chapter number 21. All of that time, what was he doing? He was consistent. He was faithful. You know the verse Proverbs 20, verse number 6. Most men will proclaim their everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You know the verse says, everybody talks about being faithful, but very few people show it. You can come to college and say, man, I'm going to go and we're going to light the world on fire for Christ. And I can go back to my college experience here and at another college where I got my undergrad. And I can go to that time and I can tell you right now, I can take you to name after name. And I've only been out of college here for 11 or 12 years and the other one, 12 or 13 years, whatever it is. And I can take you to person after person after person that were so on fire for the Lord. But right now they're not even in church. You know, that started that started in Bible college because they read their Bible one day and missed the next day and read their Bible on that Thursday and forgot Friday and went soul winning this week but skipped two weeks and that inconsistency. What's the Bible say about an unstable man? Man, not good, huh? Look it up in Scripture. 
that God says, I bless stability. Can I just tell you, be faithful, demonstrate it. Demonstrate that faithfulness. If you've ever been to Yellowstone National Park, they have the famous geyser there. It's called Old What? You know why? It's always going to go off. Old Faithful. Predictable. I wonder, is your life predictable? I realize the time, and so I'm going to wrap up this morning, but when you look at the life of Philip, man, what an incredible man of God. What an impact he made. I love it. I love studying the life of Philip. Philip left evidence. I just want to ask you this morning, will it be evident that you live for him? Will it be evident that you live for Christ? Just kind of throw this out and, and I'm finished. I just tell you, at the end of your life, well, I'll do it this way. Everybody in college, you know, we want to make like life-changing decisions. When I was first pastoring uh, and, and starting our church, Brother Getch, my goal was like, I'm going to be Dr. Getch. I'm going to be Pastor Paul Chapel. Like every, I don't know, Brother Getch is one of those guys, like every time he opens up the word of God, I mean, he could like, he could sneeze and you're going to learn something from it. I'm like, what is it, man? And I, I, was, I got out, and man, I was going to woo everybody. Every week, I preached for life change. I believe that one message can change the course of a life. I believe that. But you know what? The more I study Scripture, I don't believe that God's interested in us just making life-changing decisions one message. Oh, man, today I surrender, and I'm going to be faithful for the rest of my life. And then, you know what? How about you just listen? Here's my challenge for today to you. I believe everybody in here, most everybody, would say, I want my life to mean something. Like, I want to impact people. I want it to be evident that I lived. I want it to be evident that I lived for Christ. Don't make the decision today. It's going to be, I'm going to do it. It's going to be evident. 50 years from now, you're going to find me. Listen, a lifetime is made up of single decisions. So don't make a decision that you're going to be faithful for life. How about you just do it today? How about today you say, I'm going to live committed? I'm going to be committed to the Lord. How about today you say, I'm going to live compassionate? I'm going to reach people. I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to be forgiving. And how about today you say, you know what? I'm going to be consistent. Today is a day I'm not going to be up and down. I'll be steady today. Because you know what's going to happen? A day will turn into a week, a week and a month, a month and a year, or, and years turn into decades. And pretty soon, you're a Brother Kenny, 31 years down the road. Pretty soon, you're a Brother Getch, you're a Brother Weaver, you're a Brother Goddard, you're a Dr. Rasmussen, you're a Brother Lester. Pretty soon, you're one of these that you look back and you're able to say, wow, thank you, Lord. But it didn't happen because I committed to do it forever. It happened because I did it one decision at a time.